good to see you all again. It's been a, a few weeks since we've met together because of the um, last weekend they were testing the power in the building and we thought we probably don't want anyone to be in the lift when the power goes out <laughs> or, or to also, if we don't have power here, it makes it very difficult to, to work um, all the AV. And so we thought, ah, uh, give, give everyone a chance to go visit somewhere else or have a nice um, day to spend with family and, and loved ones. And so hopefully you had a good um, weekend last weekend and uh, it's good to see you all again. Um, it's been kind of a crazy year. Um, I don't know about you, but in my own life, um, 2020 has kind of been quite interesting. Um, lots of things have kept me busy, and a lot of unexpected things have happened as well that have made me more busy. And so it's been, it's been a little bit of a rough um, month. Um, I, I felt so bad because this week I realized I had double booked like two different things, and I was like, no, <laughs> trying to get my life back back in order. Um, hopefully, I'm hoping by April my life will be my life will be back. Um, but it's just not just me, I think. It's just been kind of a crazy year for, for a lot of people. Um, of course, as you know, with the virus, um, let me see if I can get this to work. There you go. Um, with the virus, um, with the coronavirus, a lot of people are on, on edge, not only because of the fear of catching the disease, but because of the um, social economic repercussions that it has had um, in our society and all around the world. It's interesting because this week I was reading about how even scientists can't agree on the name. The World Health Organization has coined it this week COVID-19, but the Coronavirus Study Group of the International Committee on Taxonomy of Viruses has named it SARS-CoV-2. So even they haven't come to an agreement on what to call it. So chaos and confusion reigns more. A few weeks ago, um, of course, the death of um, super ba- basketball superstar Kobe Bryant and the others in the helicopter with him was a bit of a shock. And, and I thought to myself, why, why is this death so shocking? There's, there's 150,000 deaths per day around the world. But I think it was shocking because we kind of don't expect, you know, young, successful, happy celebrities to go like this. You know, it's always kind of a shock to us because it's a reminder to us that no one is immune from tragedy. This week, George uh, Calambaris, who used to be the Master Chef judge, and you know he had a food empire of over 18 venues, had to put his Turok mansion up for sale as his um, empire is placed on voluntary administration. 400 staff are losing their jobs. This week, this is this is one of the saddest things I read about this week. Um, Lisa Dallow from Adelaide woke up from a coma after two months to find out that her daughter and her husband did not survive the White Island, New Zealand volcano eruption. She woke up this week to find out her whole family is gone. And of course, there's been bushfires and then floods, right? It's just like, what is going on? All around us, it's just the news. It's, it's so depressing to read the news. Um, I try not to read it first thing in the morning because it just kind of uh, brings me down for the rest of the day. So I can only take it in small doses like when I'm ready. I have to like prepare myself. Okay. You know, is there any good news happening? It seems like there's so much bad news. It seems like there's so many bad things happening around the world. Um, and, and things that create panic that create anxiety. And the question is how can we navigate and, and live in such a world without feeling that anxiety heighten? How can we live in a world where one moment you're on a cruise with your family the next moment you've lost your whole family 
how do we live in such a world where one moment your career and your savings are taking off and next moment you've lost, you've lost it all? How do we live in such a world without letting the anxiety and the fear overwhelm us? Approximately 1020 BC, there was a young man named David. And he was the youngest of eight brothers. So you can imagine what kind of life he had being the youngest of eight brothers, where age and rank mattered a lot more than they do today. He was left to take care of the sheep while his brothers, um, they, they also uh, took care of the sheep. But when they went into the war or they, when they had business to do, he was left with the sheep. And this was not an easy job. He had to guide these sheep through uh, the wilderness, finding new pastures for them to graze. There were wild beasts all around. So he had to keep them safe day and night. He had to make sure the little ones didn't wander off. He had to make sure the old ones didn't get sick. So it was a full-time job. But just when he thought that that was a, t- a tough gig, along came a man named Samuel who told him one day, well, he didn't even say one day, he just said, God has anointed you to be the king of Israel. And the prophet didn't tell him when, where, or how. He just said, God has chosen you to be the next king of Israel. But Saul, who was the current king of Israel at the time, was not going to step down anytime soon. In fact, years went by where David continued to be a shepherd. He, he also was a musician. He was a poet. And so he, he played music in the palace. He fought. You know, he, he did lots of things, but he was never king. And in fact, when Saul saw David's popularity rise and his jealousy and rage grew, he tried to kill David multiple times. And in the end, David gets exiled. He's hiding out in caves. He's in his 20s. In the, you know, he sh- he's at the age where, he, you know, life is, it should be going well for him. But he's hiding out in caves, running away from his um, country because the king of Israel is trying to kill him. And at first, David is all alone. But then various men and women start joining him. One or two here, three or four there. People who were unhappy with Saul's reign, people who believed in David, people who also were kicked out, they, they start joining David um, wherever he was hiding out. And the, at the end of many years, the Bible doesn't say how many years, but we know that it was several years of David being in exile. Finally, Saul dies, and men from Israel, the, the leaders of the Israelite tribes, go out to, to where David is, and they march him back to Israel to make him king. And this is the passage that I want to point out to you. It's in First Chronicles chapter 12, verses 23 to 38. I'm just going to pick out a few verses. It says, These are the numbers of the men armed for battle who came to David at Hebron to turn Saul's kingdom over to him, as the Lord had said. From Judah, carrying shield and spear, 6,800 armed for battle. And then it goes on to list all the other tribes. And then in verse 32, it says, From Issachar, men who understood the times and knew what Israel should do. 200 chiefs with all their relatives under their command. All these men came into battle array to Hebron with the single purpose of making David the king over all Israel. In fact, everyone in Israel agreed that David should be their king. What I find fascinating about this passage is that phrase that the men, the leaders, the chiefs of Issachar understood the time. They understood the times and they say, all right, we know Saul is dead. David is the one that God has anointed to be the king. We're going to show David we're on his side. So they take all their um, families and they march 
And they say, David, we're with you. We're with you. And they pledge loyalty to him. Understanding the times is so important because there's something happening. There's a shift happening. And the, and the chiefs of Issachar knew this is the time we have right now, right? If we miss this boat, if we miss this chance to show David our loyalty, once he becomes king and then we come around, it's going to be a very different story than coming to him now and saying, hey, David, we're with you and we're going to help you become the king of Israel. And the fact is that there's another king coming. And when he comes, he will reign with justice and mercy. And we have the opportunity now to understand the times, to understand what is happening around us, and to make, be part of the movement that helps that king come and reign. And the king that I'm talking about is Jesus. Let me, let me share with you um, something that Jesus shared in Matthew chapter 24. When he was talking to disciples and the disciples uh, to gather with him on the Mount of Olives, and they asked him, tell us, when, when is all this going to happen? What are the signs that will signal your return? What are the signs of the end of the world? And Jesus said to them, Matthew chapter 24, verse 4, Don't let anyone mislead you, for many will come in my name claiming I am the Messiah. They will deceive many. And you will hear of wars and threats of wars, but don't panic. Yes, these things must take place, but the end won't follow immediately. Nation will go to war against nation and kingdom against kingdom, and there will be famines and earthquakes in many parts of the world, but all this is only the first of the birth pains with more to come. Now, Jesus goes on to outline in Matthew chapter 24 the various signs of his coming, but I find it very interesting that he says, don't panic, this is just the beginning of the birth pains. Now, I don't know about you, but when I hear that, all these horrible things are going to happen. Don't panic. More will come, right? Don't panic is not what I'm thinking. I'm thinking, ah, there's more coming, right? There's already so much happening. There's more coming. But when I thought about that phrase, this is just the beginning of birth pains, it kind of actually made sense to me now that I've had two kids. Because <laughs> you see, when, when, when Roy and I um, went to that first prenatal class, right, before we had Micah, the midwives and the nurses, um, they did a really good job of explaining to us that, that there are four stages of labor. And they explained to us what to expect, what's going to happen to my body, what's going to happen to the baby, you know, all the things to expect in each of those four stages. And one thing they said to me I will never forget because it was so shocking to me when I heard it was don't stress because when you stress, your body thinks, oh, this is not a safe time to have a baby and it slows down labor. In a, twi- in a cruel twist, right? That, that your body actually, um, yeah, slows and prolongs labor if you feel stressed. And so the midwives told us, don't stress. Here's what you need to expect so that you don't stress. And you know, yep, this is, this is supposed to happen. And that's why they teach us those breathing techniques to relax, right? And to help us not stress. And so as I thought about that experience that we had, right, and, and, and as I thought about um, when I actually went through labor, one thing that really helped me was that, uh, you know, they, they've got this monitor hooked up to your belly so that you can kind of see the contractions. And one thing that I remember that really helped me during that stage of labor was that Roy was next to me, and each contraction is getting stronger and more painful, right, and longer. And, and um, you just kind of think to yourself, I can't do this anymore. <laughs> and I remember Roy did something that was so helpful. He, he looked at the monitor, and he, and he would tell me, hey, you're, you're about to have another one. 
and he would say, "You're about to have another one in five, four, three, two," and he would count down for me so I can kind of brace myself, right? And once I was in the contraction, he can see on the graph as it's about to go down, and so he would tell me, "Hey, it's gonna be over in five, four, three," and that also helped me know, okay, I can't do anymore. Okay, oh, five more seconds. Okay, four more seconds. You know, it, just knowing there is there is an end to this, right? Knowing. Um, when to expect it allows you actually to, instead of giving up or instead of feeling just anxiety, right? It actually prepares you to focus your energy for what you have to do. It actually gathers your energy for. Okay, it makes you determine. All right, I'm gonna do this. I can do this. Right, one contraction at a time, until the baby comes and hooray! Right. And so when I when I thought about that experience and I and I looked at, back to what Jesus said when He says, "Hey." Yes, all these horrible things are happening, but this is the beginning of birth pains. And he says, "Don't panic." Right? What he's trying to tell us is, "Hey, yes, it's going to be challenging, but instead of giving up, instead of panicking, which is going to only make it worse, he's he's saying, gather up and focus your energy for what you have to do. Gather up and focus your energy for the purpose that I have, that's going to get you through, and that's going to." ultimately the result in life. Okay? Through the birth pains comes life. And Jesus is trying to tell us, hey, through the painful challenges of, of living in this earth and through the painful challenges of the end days, endure, endure, focus, because there's going to be life to come. Knowing the times, knowing what to expect can help us reinterpret the chaos around us in a way that leads not to panic and anxiety, but to a refocusing of our priorities, right? In that moment when I was, you know, um, in labor with Micah, I wasn't worried about the bills. I wasn't worried about, you know, what I'm going to cook the next day. No, my only focus was the next contraction, okay? One thing at a time, right? Get this baby out, right? Uh, that, that's, that's, Pains helps us focus on what sometimes is truly important. And, you know, I think about all the things that have been happening lately. And even though it's very tragic um, and, and it leads to sadness and it leads to a lot of things, one thing, one positive thing that it does lead to is also it makes us wonder, hey, what is really important? You know, with, with the bushfires, I remember having this conversation with Roy. Hey, if our house was on fire, what would we take out? What's really important to us? Well, we really need to write a will was what we we were like. We, there's so many th- important things that we've been putting aside, procrastinating on. We we're like, oh, that's actually really important, right? And so tragedies and challenges help us to refocus our priorities, our energy and attention to doing what needs to be done to bring about life. And it also helps us figure out the purpose and helps us join the movement just like the men of Issachar, as we looked, as we looked at um, in First Chronicles, the men of Issachar understood the times, and they said, hey, we're going to march with David, and we're going to make him king of Israel. Right? In the same way, if we understand the times that we're living in, we can say, hey, we're going to march with Jesus and make him king. Not just king of the earth, right? Not just helping the second coming of Jesus come, you know, global sense, but making him king in my life now. That means submitting to his authority now. That means obeying him now. That means listening to what he is trying to teach us now. When we understand the times, we can be part of the change. We can be part of the encouragement in the midst of a very chaotic, painful world. 
in Matthew chapter 24, going back to that text where Jesus is giving the signs of the times, he says, sin will be rampant everywhere and the love of many will grow cold, but the one who endures to the end will be saved. Now, endurance here is not just gritting your teeth and saying, okay, I'm just going to clog my, you know, close my eyes and, and close my ears and just grit my teeth and get through this while the world is falling down. That's not endurance. When Jesus says here that the love of many will grow cold, but the one who endures will be saved, what he means is everybody else's love is cold. Everyone else is showing hatred and bitterness and, and anger, but you continue to endure loving. Those of us who continue to love, who continue to persevere in following Jesus in the way that he ministers to people, are the ones who will be saved. Sin, and, and another way of, of defining sin is selfishness. If you think about it, right, people are getting more and more selfish. All, and all those selfish choices are, are leading to all the horrible things that are happening around the world, including all the, all the um, environmental disasters that are happening because of our selfish choices as, hu as human beings. And God is saying, choose to endure, to choose to love to the end. There's, um, there's a poem that supposedly, you know, many people love this poem, and, and apparently Mother Teresa had this poem in, in the orphanage in Calcutta as well. Um, it was originally written by Dr. Kent Keith in 1968, and he called it the Paradoxical Commandments. Let me read it to you. He wrote, people are illogical, unreasonable, and self-centered. Love them anyway. If you do good, people will accuse you of selfish, ulterior motives. Do good anyway. If you are successful, you will win false friends and true enemies. Succeed anyway. The good you do today will be forgotten tomorrow. Do good anyway. Honesty and frankness makes you vulnerable. Be honest and frank anyway. The biggest men and women with the biggest ideas can be shut down by the smallest men and women with the smallest minds. Think big anyway. People favor underdogs but follow only top dogs but fight for a few underdogs anyway. What you spend years building may be destroyed overnight. Build anyway. People really need help, but may attack you if you do help them. Help people anyway. Give the world the best you have, and you'll get kicked in the teeth. Give the world the best you have anyway. This is the kind of endurance that Jesus is talking about when he says, hey, sin and selfishness will be rampant everywhere and the love of many will grow cold. But the one who does it anyway, right? The one who loves anyway, the one who encourages anyway, the one who continues to follow God anyway, to the end will be saved. Enduring to the end means that while others panic and rage and withdraw into isolation, that we can be instruments of peace and reconciliation and community. It means that while everyone else is living in anxiety that cripples or prejudices them against each other and against love and against giving and against community, that we actually open up our hearts, open up our lives and, and our finances and our resources to give and to love and to connect to the environment, to each other, and to God. And it's, it's, it's hard to do that, right? Because everyone else is going this way, right? 
everyone else is withdrawing. Everyone else is getting more selfish and self-centered. And, and it's hard to fight against that tide and choose to love anyway. But love is so important to the Christian experience because it is the one thing that God requires of us. When you, when you um, continue to read the Bible, this is from 1 John chapter 4, verses 7 to 11. Um, John, the writer, says, Dear friends, let us continue to love one another. And, and notice he says, let's continue, right? Because he knows it's hard. He knows it takes a daily effort, daily choice. Let us continue to love one another, for love comes from God. Anyone who loves is a child of God and knows God, but anyone who does not love does not know God, for God is love. God showed how much he loved us by sending his one and only son into the world so that we might have eternal life through him. And this is real love, not that we loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son as a sacrifice to take away our sins. Dear friends, since God loved us that much, we surely ought to love each other. No one has ever seen God, but if we love each other, God lives in us and his love is brought to full expression in us. Did you catch that? That when we love each other, God's, God lives in us and his love is expressed fully through our love for each other. In other words, how will the world know that God loves them? When they see that we love each other. When, we, when they see that we love them. Right? It's through our love, you know, with with other people and and our love for the environment and our love and our love for creation right it's our love that helps others know that god is love no amount of you know exegetical preaching or even um you know sh- defending our faith through all the science and all, all the arguments and all the philosophy right that that's only going to mentally carry someone so far what will ultimately get someone to say yes I believe God is love and I want to experience that God and I want to be a part of that, that community. The one thing that's going to get someone to do that is understanding God's love by experiencing it through our community, by experiencing it through each one of us, followers of Jesus, who is able to express that love to them and to each other. But if they look at us and they see us fighting with each other, right? They look at us and they see us having conflict. They don't want to join that, right? It's such a turnoff. And so God again and again and again says, continue, endure, loving. It's hard. You're going you're gonna to hurt each other and you're going to have to forgive. It's hard because we have to humble our pride, but continue to love each other. John goes on to say, when God is love and all who live in who, who live in love, love live in God, and God lives in them. And as we live in God, our love grows more perfect. So there's this cycle where when we learn to love each other, God lives in us. And as God lives in us, his love makes our love grow more perfect. And the more we love each other, right, the more we love God. So it's, it's, a, it's a cycle that continues. He says, um, as we live in God, our love grows more perfect, so we will not be afraid on the day of judgment, but we can face him with confidence because we live like Jesus here in the world. Such love has no fear because perfect love expels all fear. If we are afraid, it is for fear of punishment, and this shows that we have not fully experienced his perfect love. We love each other because he loved us 
first. It says, perfect love casts out fear. We've already talked about how, how when we have so many horrible things happening around us, right? We can take that anxiety that is pervasive and instead of feeding into it with fear, right? We can, we can channel that with purpose and determination. And, and it gives us a chance to refocus our priorities and we can say, okay, all right, all this is happening. What's really important? What am I really here for? And, w- and once we have that purpose and we can live with determination for that purpose, we can endure. And we don't have to be in fear because of the love that God has for us. This is one of my favorite Bible verses in, in Romans chapter 5, verse 6 to 8. Paul writes, When we were utterly helpless, Christ came at just the right time and died for our sinners. Now, most people would not be willing to die for an upright person, though someone might perhaps be willing to die for a person who is especially good. But God showed his great love for us by sending Christ to die for us while we were still sinners. While we were still sinners. I don't know about you, but it's hard to love somebody when they're hurting you, (laughs) right? It's hard to love someone when they're being mean to you. But God came and loved us while we were still sinners. While we were hurting him, while we were hurting each other, while we're doing all the things that we do. God just came and loved us to the point that he was willing to die for us. You know, yesterday was Valentine's Day, and um, I saw this on a, on a post, and I thought that was very clever. Someone posted John chapter 3, verse 16, but found the Valentine. <laughs> found the Valentine in the verse. It says, God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life. And this is the ultimate Valentine, isn't it? The fact that God said, you know what? Before you become good, before you choose to follow me, before you do anything positive, I love you. And I'm going to give my life for you to show you how much I love you. And it's because he first loved us that we are then inspired to love him and to love others. Knowing that God loves us is what gives us purpose and peace in this uncertain world. Jesus said to his disciples as he was telling them that he has to go, he says, I'm leaving you with a gift, peace of mind and heart. And the peace I give is a gift the world cannot give. So don't be troubled or afraid. You see, when David became king, you know, after, after the men of Issachar and the other tribes of Israel came and ushered him into Hebron and, and into Israel, and they made him king, that wasn't the end of his trouble. He spent his whole 20s running away. He was 30 years old when, when he became king. And you would think, okay, now he's king. You know, he can have peace. No, he had to fight all the enemies, the political enemies outside, as well as the political enemies inside, because not everybody was willing to accept him as king. Some people were like, Hey, no, a, a descendant of Saul should be king. And, and, and who are you? Right? You're just a shepherd boy who was in exile. And so he had to, he had to deal with internal uh, political maneuvering and all that. On top of that, he had to face family struggles. He had children that, you know, one of his own children tried to kill him because he wanted to be king. So he, he faced lots of troubles. And not to mention his own weaknesses and his own trials that, that David had to deal with. So his life was, was not easy after he became king. But through it all, he remembered how God had led him. And, and he, he wrote this psalm. Um, 
that is not one of the best known passages in the Bible. David wrote, you know, he's king now, but he's remembering how God had led him in, in, in his whole life journey. And he uses the metaphor of the shepherd because he knows that so well. Because when he was a shepherd, he knew what love, what patience, what endurance, what perseverance it took to take care of those very stubborn sheep, right? And so he takes that metaphor and he writes, the Lord is my shepherd. I have all that I need. He lets me rest in green meadows. He leads me besides peaceful streams. He renews my strength. He guides me along right paths, bringing honor to his name. Even when I walk through the darkest valley, I will not be afraid. For you are close beside me. Your rod and your staff protect and comfort me. You prepare a feast for me in the presence of my enemies. You honor me by anointing my head with oil. My cup overflows with blessings. Surely your goodness and unfailing love will pursue me all the days of my life, and I will live in the house of the Lord forever. I love that last sentence, that goodness and unfailing love will pursue you all the days of your life. There was a woman who, you know, was like, I, I feel like someone's following me, and she was living in anxiety and fear. And and the actual fact was nobody was following her, but because of her, um, the things that she was, was struggling with, she just felt um, anxiety all the time and finally you know, the, the pastor read this verse to her and, and he said yeah someone is following you their names are goodness and unfailing love so every time you feel that afraid of oh someone's following me I want you to remember oh who's following me it's it's goodness and unfailing love that's following you and and it kind of changed for her oh it gave her that reassurance that God is with her at all times there's a reason why Psalm 23 is the most quoted one of the most quoted passages from the Bible, especially in hospitals, especially when going through difficult times, because it reminds us that in the uncertainty of the future, we are never alone. It reminds us that through the, the catastrophes and the tragedies and the accidents and you know all the things that happen in the world, we are never alone because our shepherd is always with us, guiding us step by step, giving us strength, giving us purpose, giving us courage. This is a picture that I, before the days of cell phones, because that's how old I am, um, I used to carry this around in my wallet, in my purse, a little printout. But now that I've got my mobile phone, I have it saved on my phone under my under favorites in my album. And whenever I feel anxious or afraid or lost or sad or guilty or any of those emotions that, that bring me down, I look at this picture and I imagine that I am that lamb. And I look at the face of Jesus, and you know, it's, look, I, it's, it's hidden by the lamb, but you can tell there's a lot of emotion there. And when I look at that picture of Jesus, I see tenderness, I see longing, I see love, I see perhaps the emotion of, oh, I can't believe you've been hurt, you know, there's, there's a bit of, um, I know how that feels. Like I know this morning when Josh I like got hurt and he was crying, right? Because he bumped into to something and he's like wailing as if his heart would break. And and I'm cuddling him and it's it's that feeling of oh, I'm so I'm so sad that you're sad, right? I'm so sad that you got hurt, but it's gonna be okay, right? It's gonna be okay. And and I look at that face and as, and then I and then I look at his hand, that nail pierced hand that holds me close. And that says, I forgive you. That doesn't say I told you so, right? 
but just says, I'm glad you're home. And it's because of that nail-pierced hand that I belong there. And I imagine myself as that lamb, and, and look at this lamb. Look how happy he is. <laughs> you can tell there's, there's that content and relief on that lamb's face. I don't know who the artist is, but they did such a great job, right? That lamb is saying, okay, it's going to be all right. I'm safe now. I'm in good hands. And as I look at this picture, I remind myself that that's how God feels about me and that I can always take my burdens to him. Perhaps you can find a picture. You're welcome to take this one. <laughs> but perhaps you can find something, a verse, a song, a picture, a memory, something that can be your anchor to remind you that Jesus is always with you and that he's always going to be your shepherd. You know, many people use the uh, Version Bible app. How many of you have the Version Bible app on your phone? Yeah, I think a lot of people do. It's one of the best kind of Bible ver uh, apps on the phone. And um, Version every year, um, they, track, they can track which Bible verses are most shared or highlighted or bookmarked, you know, on their app. And so every year they, they tell, you know, they, they say, hey, this was the favorite verse um, of the year. And in 2019... YouVersion users read 35.6 billion chapters and listened to 5.6 billion chapters. And of all of them, the one that was most shared, highlighted, and bookmarked was this one. Philippians chapter 4, verse 6. Don't worry about anything. Instead, pray about everything. Tell God what you need and thank Him for all He has done. And I want to read the next few verses as well um, because it's it's part of that passage. Then you will experience God's peace, which exceeds anything we can understand. His peace will guard your hearts and minds as you live in Christ Jesus. And now, dear brothers and sisters, one final thing. Fix your thoughts on what is true and honorable and right and pure and lovely and admirable. Think about things that are excellent and worthy of praise. Keep putting into practice all you learned and received from me, everything you heard from me and saw me doing. Then the God of peace will be with you. There's so much bad news happening around us. And so God knows that. And so he says, hey, fix your mind, right? Fix your thoughts on what's true and honorable and right and pure and lovely and admirable. He says we actually have to actively seek out the good and to focus on that. To think about things that are excellent and worthy of praise. And then the God of peace will be with you, the peace will keep us anchored in this world of uncertainty and anxiety. If you're wondering what the most popular verse for 2018 was, it was Isaiah chapter 41, verse 10. Do not fear, for I'm with you. 2017 was do not be afraid, do not be discouraged. Three years in a row, right? And I, I don't think it's a coincidence. I think this world is getting increase, increasingly challenging. People are getting increasingly um, more anxious and afraid. And so three years in a row, the most popular verses have to do with it's going to be okay, right? Don't be afraid. In this world that is getting difficult, increasingly more difficult to navigate, God is telling us we can have purpose and peace because of his love for us. And because of his love for us, we then have the, the mandate to love one another. And as we endure, right, as we choose to continue to love, even though everyone else is choosing to withdraw, even though everyone else is choosing to close their minds and our hearts, when we choose to endure loving, right, when we choose to continue to care, we can have peace 
despite the chaos around the world. I've shared, um, I think I preached on this last a month or maybe two months ago about how, you know, when September 11 happened and, and there's chaos and panic and confusion, how the planes that landed in, Gan- in, um, in Newfoundland, in Canada, and how the people there showed love and hospitality. And so through that experience, they were able to find sanctuary, right? It was a time when they're so anxious about the future, but those 7,000 passengers and those 9,000 residents of that small community were able to experience such an intimacy in those few days and love that they still have reunions, that there's a musical written about them, right? Because of the love that was shared there. It made that place a sanctuary. And it's so interesting when you, when you, when you hear the interviews and you, and you learn about the stories. And they said when they came back to the States, they returned to anxiety, you know, the world of anxiety, and they missed that sanctuary where there was love and safety. What would happen if we created that love and safety for people around us? Right? If, if our church, if Melbourne City Adventist Church is that place where people can come and feel peace in the midst of the stress of the week, to, to walk in and know, oh, I can, I can now relax. Right? This is the place where I can connect and love and, and feel like I belong. I pray that as we look at the times around us, that we, like the chiefs of Issachar, would understand the times and purpose in our hearts that to, to, to lead and join the movement to make Jesus king. I pray that preparing the second, for the second coming is not, not just a passive watching the world in pain and saying, oh, well, Jesus said these things will happen anyway, right? Instead of that kind of passive resignation that it would be, hey, Jesus said that these are going to happen and this is the beginning of birth pains. I'm going to focus now on what, what I need to do to bring about life. I'm going to focus on what I need to now to, to encourage someone else who's going through pain. I'm going to focus now on, on, on doing what I can to, to share God's love with the world so that when Jesus comes again, all those people that, that I love and all those people that, that are around the world can come with me to have eternal life. As Christians, we can't avoid death and tragedy. Followers of Jesus face difficulties like everyone else and maybe even more. But I believe that as we remember that God loves us, that he is our good shepherd. As we keep that the focus, and as we, as we continue to choose to love anyway, continue to, to live for him anyway, continue to build our church anyway, right? That as we choose to endure, that we'll experience not only peace and purpose, but we'll experience transformation that will enable us to make that sanctuary, to make that safe place, to make that home for those around us who are living in so much anxiety and fear. And I pray that as a result, we can transform Melbourne City. And I pray that we'll experience the love of God in such a powerful way that those around us will will ask us, hey, how can I be a part of that? How can I have the peace that you have? As the... um, Tim comes back up to, to sing this song. It's one of my favorite hymns. It says, Because He Lives. And the words say, Because He Lives, I Can Face Tomorrow. Because He Lives. Right? It says, I Can Face the, the... And it talks about this baby. In the second verse, it says, you know, we look at the face of baby, and the reason why we can experience love and not just anxiety as we think about the, the life ahead, right, is it's because He lives. And so, Him Tim, I'm going to invite you back up. And as we sing this song, I pray that we will make the choice 
to endure and continue to, to love God, to love others, and to love this earth anyway. Dear Heavenly Father, thank you for loving us and for dying for us, for sacrificing so that we could have life, that we could have love, and that we can have purpose. Father, all around us, there's so much sadness. There's so much pain. There's so much hatred. There's so much anger. Father, make us instruments of peace and reconciliation and community. Help us to be so um, cognizant of your love. Help us to, to fully experience it so that we are inspired then to love you back and to love others. We pray, Lord, that as, as we commit to enduring in love, even though there is um, so much hurt that we continue to love anyway, I, f I pray for strength and courage to make that choice every day, to choose to forgive, to choose to reach out, and to choose to embrace in a time when everyone is pushing each other away. And I pray, Lord, that as a result, that our, our community here, that Melbourne City Adventist Church, can transform this city and be a sanctuary for people who are experiencing anxiety and fear. And I pray, Lord, that we would be able to, to give each other that safe place, to be each other's home, to help us belong to each other and to you, um, and to provide that, that body of Christ for the world to see. And Father, we ask for um, forgiveness for the, t for the ways that our love has grown cold. And we ask for you to help us, to inspire us to love better. We pray in your son's name. Amen.